Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is just me. Well, not really just me. Uh, today, I will be sitting down with Ryan Estes, one of our malware analysts on the, uh, the what we call the attestation team here at WatchGuard for our endpoint protection client. Uh, Corey's off sunning himself on a beach somewhere in Hawaii, uh, which means we get to have a fun chat with someone that I feel like has the coolest job in this whole company. Without any further ado though, let's go ahead and jump on in. So joining us today in place of Corey is a member of the, the Threat Lab slash CSO office slash whatever the heck our team is called these days. Uh, Mr. Ryan Estes. So first off, Ryan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to hop on here. I uh, really appreciate it and really looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Looking forward to getting started. Awesome. So uh, first off, uh, for those that uh, I guess I probably should start with a bit of introduction for you, uh, Ryan. Uh, so Ryan is one of our intrusion analysts slash malware analysts. Basically, he is one of the people responsible for reverse engineering or at least identifying whether any given file is good or bad. Um, if it goes through all of our automated tools and systems on our endpoint protection client, uh, basically, if uh, our machine learning and AI and whatever buzzwords we have in there aren't able to come to a determinate conclusion on whether something's good or bad file-wise, it ends up on Ryan's desk, and his job is to make that definitive decision. The uh, reason I wanted to have Ryan on here is because he genuinely has one of the coolest jobs in the whole company, and I thought that we could have some uh, really interesting learnings from just to chat with them. So Ryan, I guess like first off, one of the things that we always like to ask our guests on this podcast is what is your security origin story? So if you were a superhero and we're coming into you on season two here, basically like what's the background on what got you to where you're at right now? Uh, I, I guess you could say it was by accident. So I guess you could rewind all the way back to my- uh, <laughs> As it goes. Yeah, not intentionally getting into cyber. Um, go back to my undergraduate days. I was studying computer engineering, which is more hardware based. Uh, switched to computer science after having a great professor in Java programming, believe it or not, which I never use Java anymore. Um, so I switched to computer science and towards the end of my tenure at SIUE, which is where I got my degree at in computer science, um, I needed experience. So I was like fretting to, you know, get interviews or get experience in programming so I can get a good job and getting out of college. Um, so I interviewed at Scott Trade, which is now TD Ameritrade, which is an online brokerage company. Uh, I actually did not get the role I interviewed for, but they called back and said, hey, we have this vulnerability assessment role that we need filled. We need an intern for it. Do you want to do it? And I was like, well, I need experience. So absolutely, I'll do it. Not that's knowing cool. not knowing what it entailed at all. I was just like, yes. So I that's how I got into cybersecurity, really. So I was in vulnerability assessment and remediation management, which is known as VARM to them. Um, and then I got a role at Cisco under their security risk and compliance consulting arm. I uh, worked there full time a little bit, and then I worked for WatchGuard after that and uh, here now. Yeah. So the vulnerability uh, management bit, like what was your typical day to day in that one? Actually, it sounds pretty cool, too. Uh, from what I remember, it was a lot of scanning using Nessus and then just reaching mm -hmm. out to stakeholders and uh, those who own the appliances and computers, servers, whatever have you. Uh, and they would take care of it or whatever had you tell them to fix their crap basically yeah, pretty much yeah like hey this is broken or hey this is vulnerable <laughs> fix it <laughs> but as an intern i didn't have much say <laughs> so. yeah 
the compliance side, that, I mean, I could see that being interesting. I could also see that being incredibly tedious and boring. So, uh, yeah, since I was doing all coding pretty much, I was just coding day in, day out, going right uh-huh. into compliance and cybersecurity. It was, I mean, I learned a lot. Everything I learned there, I just, I didn't know before. So it was just like a sponge. I was just soaking up everything. And I mean, the people there were great and I, I have no complaints. So it was a great role. That's awesome. Yeah. And then here at WatchGuard, like you've been a great success story of uh, continuing to move up and around. Like I remember we picked you up to uh, be in our intrusion analyst team for our DNS watch product. So investigating malicious domain or connections to malicious domains. Yep. And uh, after the Panda acquisition is when you were able to basically go through some training, get your feet wet and then move over effectively permanently to our malware analyst team. Yeah, from uh, domains to files, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, man. And so I know like uh, you and I obviously have uh, been working together for quite some time now. So I know you are a bit of a an education nut. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I say that with full of respect, by the way. Um, but I know along the way is like you love getting certificates. Like I think you've got certifications in like any security or tech adjacent thing these days, it seems like. Um, like along the way, like were there any ones that you feel like the training or the certificate itself are potentially useful for where you're at now or maybe some of your past job roles? Any like big standouts, I guess, along the way? Yeah, quite a few. So I love certification just because I'm a person who likes to just work towards a, a tangible goal or something I can achieve. Um, so that's what type of personality I am. Um, and I've gotten I've 10 certifications total. Two are expired. Um, the first one I got was actually my CISSP when I was interning at Scott trade. I took that cause they were like, Hey, we're getting, getting bought out. We want to train everyone. And I was like, Oh, Hey, I'll do that too. And that was the first one I got. Lo and behold, it was one of the better certifications in cyber. Um, I've also got CompTIA certifications, the A plus net plus security plus, uh, the cyber analyst one. I mean, those are okay. They're multiple choice. They're good for learning foundations. Uh, so if you want to learn basic, like computer tech and troubleshooting a plus simple networking uh net plus and simple security security plus etc um but certifications are really what you put in it was what you get out so i mean you could take the certifications pass it and not really know much of it you're just a good test taker so all certifications are going to be kind of what you put in and get out of it is your own work per se uh, other ones I really liked were eLearn security ones. I'm currently taking the ECR or EC map, which is the malware analyst one. Uh, I've taken their reverse engineering ones. I thought it was excellent. Uh, they had a multiple choice test that you had to pass in order to do the hands-on file that you had to reverse. So you had to do two part and you had to pass both of them. Uh, that was great. I've taken an offensive security one before, the wireless professional. I thought that was excellent as well. Um, I look forward to taking more offensive security ones in the future if I get more into pen testing. Um, I'm currently taking another one called zero to automated, which I find excellent for my current role. Um, it's, uh, I believe it's Vitaly is his name and a couple of his cohorts, they created a, it's, it's a malware analyst role and it's about mainly like packers and algorithms and the granular stuff that you get into reversing with. Um, and I think it's excellent. That sounds like actual useful hands-on knowledge for that one, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of these that I really like are hands-on, like the e-learn security, hands-on, offensive security, hands-on, zero to automated, hands-on. And those are the ones I, I like the most. And I think you get the most out of because you're actually doing the work. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, those are probably good certifications. Cool. So 
like in your role uh, as someone responsible for like figuring out whether a file is good or bad, like I could see maybe someone from the outside without much knowledge of what's going on. Like you see all the how that the, the high end of like the technical difficulties of it, where if, like if you have to straight up get down to reversing a file, like you're potentially just staring at assembly all day. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure the reality is a little bit different. Like what is your typical day to day when it comes to like the, the malware analytics side of things? That's an interesting one because uh, I don't think there is a typical day. I, I have my <laughs> routines, but nothing is really typical about it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I wake up and read the the daily emails and the daily cyber news to see kind of what's new, any zero days, any interesting things, things like that. Uh, and then I also look up a lot of ransomware stuff because that's my kind of threat interest, my research interest right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess it just depends on the workload for the day. So I get the files in the queue we have. Um and we have automated systems to determine, you know, if they're gonna, if they're suspicious, if they look really malicious, if they look like they're goodware, which is non-malicious files, of course. Um, and so it's basically pick and choose what files you want to do, and it depends on the file, I guess. But I mean, some days it's out of control; there's files constantly. Other days it's very slow. You'll have sometimes no files at all that we have to do, and that at that point it's. Uh, special projects and research. So our main goal is to determine maliciousness or not. So it's not like we have to dig into each file and see exactly what it does, what libraries it pulls in, everything like that. That's part of the process, but it's not required. We just need to know if it's malicious Mm -hmm. or not. So you do your verification checks to make sure if an obvious malicious file is still malicious or not. But uh, you don't have to dig down into it because we have other files to get to. We have other customers that need their files ran could be important or critical files so we have to just get to those and that's most important so if you have extra time like if there's a lot of downtime no files then we can dig into and get into more research of each file but at the end of the day it's Mm -hmm. is it malware is it goodware or is it a pup a potentially unwanted program so so that makes sense like how about some of those where you have been able to dig down like are do you have any examples of like interesting ones either like either malware or goodware like maybe it was goodware that just looked real bad until you figured out exactly where it was or malware that used like interesting techniques for like evasion or something like that yeah the the goodwares that do suspicious things are the hardest ones because you have Mm -hmm. to check everything i mean if you say it's goodware and it's actually malware that's worst case scenario because then they're running malware on their machines so you i mean you have to do all the checks for the goodware possible if you think it's good uh, malware, those are usually easy. The obvious ones, like they'll make uh, network connections to C2 servers and download files that look weird and have weird names and um, do like process injection and things like that. And you're like, okay, well, that's not normal. Those are obviously malware. Uh, some interesting ones. Um, I really like .NET files because you can just throw it in a tool mm-hmm. called DNSpy or DNSSpy, however you want to pronounce it, and just read the source code. Uh, a lot of times it's obfuscated. Sometimes it's not. So you can just read it exactly what it does. Uh, and there's a tool called D4Dot that gets rid of a lot of that obfuscation sometimes. So that's very nice. But these files will like make PowerShell uh, request processes and they'll download from like a Discord CDN and like the payload and then execute it that's there. Cool. Yeah, those are fun. And they'll do different techniques like they'll uh, embed the binary in the resource section and then read a binary stream from the resource and then drop the malware that way. That's an interesting one. I've seen that quite a few. So resource section being like part of the header system for a like a malware or a, a file? Yes. So if you were to basically just 
compile the file with another file in it that mm -hmm. would be in the resource section kind of like a, a favicon like an icon that would uh -huh. be in your resource section usually okay but they're sticking straight up malicious code in the resource section then and then pulling it out yeah and sometimes they'll like make it in reverse so they'll have the hex file in reverse and they'll read the binary stream in reverse the string drop the file and execute it so uh, it's all about like evading getting caught i mean they it's it's a cat and mouse game who's more clever yeah that makes a lot of sense like because their goal is basically like it, it would be easy for like us as a you know endpoint protection provider really anyone out there to have a hundred well, i wouldn't say easy it'd be <laughs> relatively easy to have a hundred percent efficacy in terms of like blocking everything that is bad but you can't just block everything that's bad because you'll have a massive blast radius of also blocking a lot of sketchy looking but legitimate stuff Yep. Like, and that's one of the ways that files can really fly in under the radar is, you know, they're hoping that because user friction would be awful if you had like a over uh, effective system, mm -hmm. uh, they hope that they can just slide in with some of the sketchy looking but legitimate software that you can't block without that big blast radius. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I've seen I've seen an uptick in that, for example, the a lot of um, zip folders and ISOs and any containerized folder are being used now. And that basically once you open it and execute the file, it's malware. Um, but they just obscure themselves just one step away from the user so you can't see what's going on. Uh, I see that quite a bit, especially since the Microsoft disabled macros again about a month ago. And seeing an uptick in that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Like a lot of the protections on your endpoint from Microsoft, like the built-in ones, mm -hmm. they they fire or not depending on if that specific file was downloaded from the internet. Basically, there's an attribute that gets flagged as yes, this came from the internet, or it came from like an untrusted source, for example. Absolutely. But if that file comes from inside a archive or a like you said, an ISO image. And that archive or ISO image is the one that was downloaded from the internet. That thing has the flag, its contents do not. And so some of the protections like the ma macro blocking, you can bypass them by throwing in one of those archives and just making your victim have one additional click. Yep, it's all about just obscuring what's going on behind the scenes pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Now you mentioned uh, DNSpy or DNSpy or whatever it's called. Like what other tools do you use on like a regular basis in your, your analytic work? Oh, oof. get out your pens and pencils and uh, paper here. <laughs> or at least like some of your favorites then. Yeah, uh, those, those, it just depends on the scenario, like I said. Um, but most files go through certain process. I check the header information. So I use a couple tools. PE Studio is a big one. CFF Explorer is another one I use a lot. PE Bear is a great one. I rarely use it, though, because it's just a lot of overlap at that point. Uh, another one's Detect It Easy. That's to I do a lot of packer detection and other PE header information from that, and even a simple hex editor like uh, HXD, I believe it's called. Um, it's just called hex editor, really. But um, those are good for checking like initial, what is this file? What's it going to do? What does it contain? What libraries does it pull in? What functions is it going to use, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then depending on like what it is, then you're going to use different tools. So like I said, .NET, you use DNSpy or DNSpy, however you want to pronounce it, D4. Uh, if you have like an auto IT embedded file, you'd use uh, an auto IT ex extractor to get the script out and see what it does. I believe FireEye has a good tool for that. Uh, Java, they have Java decompilers. They have VB decompilers for Visual Basic, um, even Delphi decompilers, Python decompilers, you name it. Uh, you just got to find the tool. Someone's probably made it. Um, Packers, uh, you just 
those usually have to do manually. That's like probably the hardest part of reversing assembly is packers. Um, unless it's UPX, because <laughs> you can just use a tool to, unless it's a customized UPX, but UPX is pretty easy. Uh, the obvious disassemblers, debuggers, uh, most people know IDA. Uh, actually don't use IDA a lot because I train with X32 debug, which is similar to Ollie mm -hmm. debug. And that's not what I trained on, so I'm familiar with it. I know how to use it. So that's actually what I use. I don't use IDA. Oh, that's cool. Um, Ghidra is another popular one, too. Yeah, Ghidra is a... It's the one that I, I wouldn't say I'm anywhere near your, near your capacity, but it's the one that I've played around with the most just because it is free. Yeah. Like I said, I it's just what you train and get familiar with because they all kind of do the same thing in a different way. Um, and then some other tools, yeah, like Wireshark for network. And um, there's online tools I use. VirusTotal is a big one uh, for people. Uh, I actually like a sandbox tool called Hatching Triage. It's an excellent sandbox. Uh, huh. If anyone from that team is listening, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hybrid analysis is another big one. Annie.run is another big one. Um, and oh, since Panda's out of Spain, I actually use the Google Translate app a lot because our, a lot of our customers are, speak Spanish and Portuguese and French, Italian, <laughs> and all that. So I'm learning languages along the way. But at the end of the day, uh, reversing is kind of an art form more than a science, I would say. Uh, it's just whatever you prefer and how you solve it is your method. So I consider that kind of an art, um, but you just have different tools along the way that kind of help you solve the same things. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like there isn't going to be a if it was if there was a cookie cutter thing, like we wouldn't need humans doing it effectively. And the fact is that like you have this job because it's it's necessary. We we need someone that is able to make those educated human decisions versus a programmatic decision to you know, cut through some of the noise with some of these files and determine whether they are actually good or bad. And so it does boil down to the tools that work best for you in order to make those decisions easier, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, you know, automation is necessary because you need to get rid of all the low hanging fruit because you can't look at everything. Yeah. There's not enough human power for that. Oh, man. Imagine your queue if like we just straight up sent everything to you that ever got run that we hadn't seen before. That'd be fun. Oh, you'd have to send coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a coffee over IP protocol yet? Maybe that, maybe we should get working on that one. You need to make it. Um, so I know like you're busy these days, uh, like on the educational side of things. But I know you also like you've at least collected and curated a lot of uh, like cybersecurity and just overall technical books. Um, are there any that you've like read recently in the past few years or so that you'd recommend to anyone? Not necessarily even for malware analysis, but just like cybersecurity or IT in general? Uh, yeah, so I actually keep a personal library of all the books I've ever gotten that's in virtual or ebook form. Uh, I have a ton. Uh, in terms of reverse engineering, I can give a few if you still got your pens and pencils out, everyone. Um, I would say Windows Internals Part 1 and I believe Part 2 just came out recently. Those are necessary because you have to know operating systems, how they work. Uh, and by the way, I do mostly Windows files. There's Linux, Android, whatever. It's malware for everything. Uh, I do. Well, most we know that Macs don't get malware, so that makes sense. That's true. There's literally zero Mac malware out there. No, I'm yeah, just kidding. This makes sense. It exists. <laughs> uh, Intel's instruction manual. Uh, they have a giant volumes online on how their instructions work in assembly. Uh, I actually keep that near me at all times because there's always a case where I need to look up something. Um, Oh, yeah, I have a hard copy of it, too. So that's great to have. Practical malware analysis is great. Uh, practical binary analysis. All these are practical. So practical reverse engineering, practical packet analysis. If you're getting the trend here, it's 
get your hands dirty. So buy books that yeah, make- practical malware analysis one. I actually have that book. It and I agree, it's pretty dang handy. Yeah, it's getting a little outdated because I think the challenges are in XP, but I, you can set up a virtual machine in XP, I think, still. So mm-hmm. it's still relevant. I mean, a lot of the methodologies he uses are still relevant. It's it's still relevant. I'll say that. Um, okay. Other book. I'm currently reading The Art of Cyber Warfare. It's right next to me right now. It's Ooh. about um, threat hunting and reverse engineering and malware analysis and how to threat profile uh, APTs and nation state actors. So. So that's what I'm kind of getting into now, more ransomware stuff. Uh, that sounds interesting. It's pretty interesting. I like it a lot. So I'll let you know how it turns out. Um, but for most books, basic IT books, oh man, I can't think. There's a, If you go to No Starch Press, uh, their website, uh-huh. they they have all the good books there. I, I love their uh, publications. Uh, Humble Bundle is also another great one. Um, those are like- Yeah, Humble Bundles, not just for video games. Uh, you can get some pretty sweet books. I got a ton of like software off of there too for like everything from game design to like music production. That platform's amazing. Yeah, I'll just check it every like what is it month? Does it change it monthly? I think so. Just about. Yeah, check them every month. See if there's new books. You can get like twenty books for fifteen bucks, and they're like fifty dollar books usually sometimes. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I I can. Yeah, that's awesome. I have my own personal blog too, where I I put all my resources together and all my library and stuff. So. If you guys want to go there, I'll put together a little bundle of recommended reads and tools and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I'll get that uh, blog URL from you again. We'll tack it onto the show notes for this for folks to check out. Shameless plug. Love it. Hey, it's allowed. (laughs) Cool. So I know uh, you were able to attend Black Hat and DEF CON this year, which I don't know about you, but I was happy as hell to be there in person uh, versus some of the virtual trade shows we've been doing for the past couple of years. But Mm -hmm. Uh, being, I think, was this your first one, Ryan, actually? First Black Hat, second DEF CON. Awesome. Okay. So as your first Black Hat and second DEF CON, uh, and at least the first one back in person for quite a few years, uh, was there anything that really stood out to you like at the conferences, either like a talk that was interesting or any cool villages you got to attend at DEF CON? Yeah. So Black Hat, uh, since it was my first time, everything stood out to me because I've never experienced a trade show and things like that before. It was definitely all new and it was a great experience. Uh, it's also great that my wife drove with me and was there the whole time. So if you're listening, wife, I love hey. you. <laughs> Thank you oh. for putting up with me. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a blast at uh, Black Hat and DEF CON talking to everyone about, you know, WatchGuard and our CTF contests and our badges. And I was actually so engulfed in that that I didn't see many talks at Black Hat, but I did get to see the uh, the rollback car attack one. And that one, probably the most interesting one ever, because when I saw him do the uh, double signal capture, and replay it of any signal to the same car and it unlocked it. And I was like, how has no one tried that? That's all <laughs> yeah, I thought about. Exactly what I thought too. So I got the cliff notes of that from uh, from Corey. And it's like, seriously, it took until 2022 for people to think, oh, maybe we should do this. Yeah, just replay any attack twice in a row. <laughs> uh, how about DEF CON side of things? Like, I think you got to go to at least a few. I was So I was with you on the Black Hat side. Like I was blown away by the CTF and missed quite a few talks I wanted to go to. But DEF CON... Uh, did seem like you got to at least go to do some fun stuff. Yeah. Um, dare I say DEF CON was a little bit uncomfortably packed with people, to be quite honest. Uh, the corridors that were not fair. wide enough to fit everyone. Um, but I, I, I loved it too. I, I had to, I saw the Roger Dingledine's tour talk on how they're trying to block tour in Russia. thought that was interesting, especially from Mr. Dingledine himself. Um, another interesting one was the Windows 11 no-code malware 
I, I really like that one. It was how um, the embedded Power Automate app that's in Windows 11 that comes native. You can use it to write pretty much any type of malware, ransomware, whatever have you, uh, without writing any code at all. So, and that's it's wow. built within Windows 11 right now. You can go look it up. So it's called Power Automate. So I thought that was really interesting. I hope to never, if I see that in any files going forward, <laughs> it'll just be intriguing, I guess. At least you know how to spot it now, right? That's right. Yeah, that's why you see these talks and things like that. Yep. Um, since my wife was with me, I saw the tracking helicopters in D.C. because she was in the Army uh, doing mm-hmm. in the helicopter brigade, whatever have you. Uh, and that was about open source Python scripts and how and the community and how everyone came together to kind of track unknown helicopters in the D.C. area, and they're kind of expanding that. I actually thought that was really interesting, even though I didn't really have interest in it because, but I saw it because of my wife and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That's still pretty cool. Like, actually, I did want to go see that one. It looked, for, I, it's on my, I think it's number two on my list right now of uh, YouTube videos to watch when I get uh, some free time. Now, it's a good uh, case study on how open source tools and a uh, power of community can build something good. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, man, I'm glad you were able to go to that. You and the whole team. It was cool having everyone in person in the uh, sweltering heat and I guess the monsoons of Las Vegas in the middle of August. So like wrapping things up, though. um, So you've had a, like you said, almost accidental journey to get to where you're at uh, as a malware analyst now. Mm -hmm. But if someone's listening to this and they think, man, you know, it sounds cool being able to spend my time figuring out exactly what files are doing or at least whether they're good or bad. Like, is there anything you'd tell someone that's looking to get into this kind of role? Anything that uh, you'd recommend going through or maybe something you'd do differently than what you did? Oh, that's tough because people uh, are motivated by different things, I'll say. So Mm -hmm. you got to find what motivates people, I think, at the beginning of the day. But uh, in my opinion, I think uh, you got to start foundationally. You can't just open up a crack me file or malware on your computer and try to see what it does. You can't do that. <laughs> I mean, you can try, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, so you got to understand the basics before diving in. Um, I took a course in my undergraduate degree called uh, Operating Systems straight up, and it was a professor named Igor Sirk, and I thank him to this day because it was one of the hardest classes I've taken to this day, and it was the most rewarding because it's Everything I do, I did in that course, I do now. For example, we had to learn about how files and directories kind of work, uh, processes, process scheduling, how threads are made and how threads work with processes, uh, simple instruction and assembly, uh, C programming, basic network fundamentals, things like that. And those, I mean, that's basically a list right there of things you should probably know before getting into malware analysis. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's like a Swiss army knife of topics in a single class. Yeah. Uh, memory management's a big one. Uh, I would say look up other researchers' technical like write-ups and malware analysis write-ups to see like if that's something you're even interested in because that's, I mean, what you see is what you're going to get. You're going to be, mm-hmm. you're not going to be doing the same thing every day like I kind of explained, but you will be going through the same methodologies and like over and over again, like putting a file into static analysis, see what it does over and over again, but they're going to do different things. So, I mean, you're going to have a slight repetition aspect, um, but mostly different, to be honest. Which I think, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like, that kind of helps, though. Like, I don't want to speak for you, but I'd get bored as hell if I did the same thing every day. But, forgive me, Um, but with, like, malware analysis, like like you said, you have no idea what any given file is going to do. And so it is literally different you're solving a different puzzle 
every single time you take a look at a new file. That's exactly right, yeah. And I mean, that's uh, the puzzles are what you kind of choose because we have a file that kind of says a little bit what it is, what it does. So other analysts can kind of choose the interesting ones before you. So it's kind of like a, a rat race, <laughs> if you will. So you got to be quick on the draw also. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if there's a lot of files in the queue, you're not going to have a problem. But um, yeah, I, I would say that's don't be cool. scared. Because when I, when I first got into malware analysis, I mean, I thought, hey, I'm going to have to run malware on my machine. I don't want to make any mistakes because there's, I mean, there's a lot that could go wrong immediately and quickly. So I would say don't be scared. Just, Good thing virtual machines exist. I was just going to say that. Learn how to set up a malware analysis lab, a virtual machine. There's a couple write-ups online. I think uh, Malware Tech blog has one he has a good one mm -hmm. on how to set up a good virtual machine just to get your hands dirty uh, and then get buy one of these books or do crack me's which are basically non-malicious files that you kind of solve the algorithm within assembly those are really good ones to get your hands dirty um yeah there's a bunch of malware repos online you can go download download malware and just reverse it yourself kind of see what it does and i think one of the most effective things i've done is i've written code myself compiled it and then reverse that to kind of set what I think is going to happen, what I think I'm going to see and what I actually see. And that's when I start to really kind of put things together on what I expectations versus reality pretty much. That's uh, a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's real cool. Yeah, that's helped me a lot. And like I said, understanding operating systems is a is a big one because you got to understand, okay, if a malicious file does this, what does that mean? You have to know what that means. You have to know that a, a process shouldn't be ran in a certain folder or you got to be able to understand the operating system side and how malware interacts. Definitely with it. seems like it's a, uh, a your like your type of work definitely builds off of experience. It's like the longer you do it, probably the more efficient and easier it becomes, which I guess is probably fair with most jobs, but even more so with malware analytics when it is such a technical role. Yeah. And it kind of brings a lot of different aspects of cyber together at once. So, I mean, you can't just know networking and understand malware you'll know the networking aspect of it but you gotta you gotta be a swiss army knife like you said you gotta know a lot of a lot of everything that's awesome well thanks ryan i really appreciate you taking some time to come chat on the podcast no problem hey everyone thanks again for listening as always if you like today's episode don't forget to rate review and subscribe if you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics you can reach out to us on twitter I'm at X-O-R-R-O -R -R -O underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening. And you will hear from us next week.